What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I am Ronan Gain, and joining me as always is Christian Nambu. But of course, we can't see him because he's having some uh, some technical issues. But uh, my technical we... issue is being on the beach. This is a live recording. I just <laughs> I, you can't see me there. I'm right there. I'm in the yeah, waters. Yeah, it's just it was, we're just we're just cal- calming waters because uh, some of the stuff <laughs> we're going to be talking about tonight. We uh, we haven't quite reached the halfway point of the NBA season, but. We're reaching the the first kind of major standout point, which is the Christmas Day game. So we're going to take a little bit of a look at the season we've had so far, some of the disappointing teams, some of the surprise players, disappointing players, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the season so far. But we're going to start things off with a bit of catch and shoot. I'm taking a few shots this week, and uh, my first one is a bit lukewarm. We'll see. Could could end up being a bit of a layup, but. Damian Lillard is the GOAT Portland Trailblazer of all time after becoming the lead scorer of all time last night. Um, so we're still at the layup line this season. Um, so still taking shots right at the rim. So good job, Ronan. Good. We haven't we haven't set up a pod in a while, so I know that you just got to – this is a warm-up shot, I'm assuming. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like Clyde – so he passes Clyde Drexler. Um, and, you know, obviously I think he's yet to make a stamp on – big success in the postseason and that's that's tough given how the, the western conferences looked when he's been there but in terms of an individual player offensive player i mean that's a bucket i mean he's going to be i i love um seeing this come back up again you know the debates on where he's at as the as one of the best shooters of all time and he's definitely up there um he's picking up right where he left off and still getting still getting better so i've i've said it over and over this season like they've really surprised as a team and depending on how much further they make it in the playoffs, I mean, this this could be a season where Dame does more than he's ever done before as they continue to coalesce as a as a unit here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now this one's a little bit a little bit a little bit more out there. Maybe the at the free throw line here. The Washington <laughs> the Washington Wizards should trade Bradley Beal and commit to a rebuild. Um all right, this is between like a free throw and like a full court shot. I mean, the the most difficult part about this is the fact that Beal is in full control, and this has been the most confounding thing about him as a player and just their situation in general. Like, you can't trade him unless he wants to be traded, and, and with the massive contract he has, like when you think about other teams that could feasibly do something, it's ironic to realize that. I mean. The Lakers are pretty much at the top of that list, but that's that's clearly an awkward situation that wouldn't probably would never happen. But yeah, I mean, I mean, they should. The Wizards are just. I mean, they're still in this position of having a glut of talent and not really have a clear direction. Great to see Kyle Kuzma have a a breakout year of sorts, having the ball more. Uh, but still, things haven't coalesced in a way to make it meaningful. But I don't think I don't think Bradley Beal's ever leaving. I, I think that's a that's gonna be a break for me because he's never leaving the Washington Wizards. I, I don't I don't ever see a situation where that makes sense for the team and other team and probably for him. Like where where does that even work out? I mean, for me, it, it just doesn't make sense for another team to take on the the Whopper contract at because. But for for Washington on on the whole and for Beal himself, you wish that he would want to win more and understand that he's just not going to be in a position to be able to do it in Washington or it looks unlikely that he's ever going to get into that position because they're just so they're so half in half out they don't really know what direction that they're going in and Beal doesn't feel like the player that he was uh, a couple of years ago but yeah realistically I yeah. think I think you're probably right yeah and on like a small tangent I mean that that's an argument that's like discussion we had another day like it's the perfect example of how the contract situation that we have in the nba today is perfect for the wizards to have retained it because they're the only team who could have just offered him this ridiculous contract and probably the only team who in the open market would have offered it to him to begin with so it's great that they retain their star but then you just have this double-edged sword of okay now you have your star and you've completely hampered like you need to be perfect with every other part you need to have young players who are developing perfectly alongside the star you need to have veterans and like everything needs to coalesce perfectly from a contract standpoint and it's so hard when you have such an albatross like that and 
you know, this isn't a knock on Felix. He's a fantastic player, but to maintain that level, like he, he's just not a top five player. He's not a top 10 player in this league. And that's, that's difficult in a league full of so many talented superstars, but for him to be paid like that and for the team to suffer, it's, it's tough. And hopefully in the future, as we get new, uh, new TV deals, new, new CBAs eventually, then something like that will get sorted out, but it's difficult. Okay. So moving on to our, our season outlook so far, we're going to probably have to start with the negative. And when we're talking negative, one of the most disappointing teams so far this season have been your Chicago Bulls. They sit 11th in the Eastern Conference, 11-18. and 18. They have a minus 1.8 net rating. It's just, it all feels like it's just all going wrong for a team that were battling for the one seed for the majority of last season before falling off, just coming towards the end of the year. What, what What's going on, man? What's going on in Chicago? I think when you put everything into perspective like that, it's tough. Like you, and this is a really hard question to ask yourself as a Bulls fan and as a Bulls organization, like in business of basketball, like where do you, where do you make moves based upon what you've seen from your team? How do you feel about your team after certain periods of time? And, evaluation periods are so difficult and it's easy to see last year like you said like battling for the first seat how we came out in the first 30 games or so with Lonzo and Caruso looking like the most dynamic defensive duo and then DeRozan and Levine of course flashing themselves as the best offensive tandem in the league at times um DeRozan being a, a borderline MVP like that's that's a pretty impressive flash and of course you saw how the injuries piled up and at the end of the season clearly they weren't at the place they wanted to be but you know going back and looking at that situation it's easy to kind of predict the situation we're in now a a lot of what what was supposed to go right this year was predicated on some pretty lofty expectations for what Zach Levine to be healthy which he just came off another knee surgery expecting him to be full swimming ready to participate was just not realistic and for the bulls organization not to surround this team with shooters which was their number one problem last year they're one of the worst in terms of efficiency great shooting team last year but near the bottom of the league in attempts don't add any real shooters still in the bottom of the league in attempts and we've seen how teams are gearing up against levine and DeRozan, daring guys to shoot who they know will not shoot and this is predictable like we, we did nothing was done to fix some fundamental issues with this team. And I think that's, that's again, just the fine balance that you have in this league of how rosters are constructed and how far can you take a certain sort of concept. And it wasn't feasible to see, you know, especially without Lonzo to see what kind of defense they put together last year lead to the type of wins that you might've hoped for. But that's, that's just to answer the part where, you know, you're looking back, you know, that just to put into perspective how disappointing it is because you were right there, but I'm sad to say that I'm not, I'm not overly shocked. Part of me understood. And I think everyone who's been watching this team had to understand to some degree that this was, this was an expected outcome. Like that this was not, this was not a random or unexpected outcome. This isn't because of some fluke injury. Like this was a very real possibility looking ahead to the season. Yeah. I guess it's always easy to kind of, to look at it that way when then at the same time when you go into the season with that bit of bit of optimism thinking, oh, maybe Levine is finally ready now. And and it still could turn from he's he's been fairly solid. It's just kind of the question when you paid him that big money, you're kind of hoping he'd already showed that he's kind of taken the mantle over from DeRozan, which he hasn't really done yet, but maybe he hasn't fully got back into the swing of things yet. It's not like DeRozan is really on a decline or anything either. So that's a tough way to look at it. But it's kind of it's come out there. Uh, Sham Sharania was reporting that there's been a bit of, bit of a disconnect between Levine and the and the organization as a whole. A bit of an issue with him and DeRozan playing together. I wonder how much truth there is in that, and what that could potentially lead to down the line. Do you have you have you seen any any aspects that that might be uh, that might be real? I don't. I think you're always seeing reports where reporters are trying to make something out of nothing, honestly. Like, and I, I do think that Bulls beat in particular is very choosy with what they 
are reporting on and, and they're not they're not always trying to stir up sort of stories like this so when you see something like this you know it's it's worth paying attention to but i think a lot of it isn't surrounded by you know any clash in personalities per se like you know wanting more touches or anything like that i i think this is really just a symptom of this is a symptom of a team that's not set up for success and because of that you know this, it's a symptom of losing it's a symptom of a team that isn't isn't performing first of all and second of all doesn't have the personnel to compete at the highest level right now and it's not it's not going to lead to you know good chemistry it, like the amount of chemistry that they've held to this point has been impressive honestly because they've looked slow they've not looked um seamless like they did last year because when they looked seamless last year i think there's an illusion last year that um that they were a good two-way team but they enjoyed two very separate periods of time like the defense in the beginning of the year was what drove everything and that was the greatest time of team success and then the second part of the year when the defense was struggling and really fell all the way to the bottom 10 you know is demar Derozan creating some incredible offense so th there was never this this consistent identity on both sides of the floor throughout the whole season so I think not having that identity and going and trying to create something maybe a little different this season, there's been struggles with that. And any, any of these things I think is more about the, the dynamics of trying to win without the correct pieces versus like any personal issues. That, that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I, I'd agree with you. And what about is, is Pat Williams one of the biggest disappointments of the season so far, or is he just? Is it just another impact of the way the team is built as a whole? Is why he's struggling, or or is he just not not fulfilling on on uh, on his potential? That's that's a difficult one. It depends on who you ask. Honestly, I think there are a lot of people who saw Pat Williams and continues to see the potential, um, but potential is is, you know, really nice for the holder. I think a lot of people continue to see a guy who's scared to make his mark on the floor, especially when he's sharing the floor with Rosen, sharing the floor with Levine. And I think the outcomes of this season for him are pretty, are pretty expected for a lot of people on this fan base. And I think in the franchise as well, I think a lot of people have written him off, honestly, as a guy who's not going to dominate in that way. But I can't blame it. Like you can't, I think you can be disappointed in the lack of production from a rebounding perspective, um, lack of production from a defensive standpoint. He's been solid, but not great. And that's been an area with this season in particular where he needed to really, you know, develop for a, a team that's trying struggling without their defensive leader and Lonzo ball and Alex Crusoe can't do everything by himself and still trying to figure out a defense that's led with Nikola Vucevic as um, you know, the, the lead drop defender in the league that's spamming pick and rolls that that's that's a difficult position to put him in and i think ultimately what what this season is has told us is either a that he's never going to be i think a that he's not going to be a elite guy on a team i think that would have made itself apparent by that um and i think b is is he going to ever have that like to be a third guy because he could be that right now there, there are games where he it's like he seemingly turns it on and turns it off and he's able to channel his aggression and really get to the rim, get to the free throw line, get to his spots. Cause he's such a long guy. And it's, that is the disappointing part is to continue to see the flashes in the same way that you saw it from marketing. And then now look at marketing in Utah. So what, <laughs> what would be continually disappointing though, is, is if we leave this season and don't have a real direction and don't even have anything out of your one blue chip prospect, especially after you've sent off two first round picks that Patrick Williams, not developing or having a, a way forward would be the cherry on top of a pretty shitty situation in Chicago. So the look, if that was to continue on that, on that trend, do you think that Chicago could end up in a, in a similar sort of spot that we're seeing the wizards in at the moment, or do you think there's still room to make better decisions and some of the younger players to grow so they can still be a, a perennial playoff team over, over the next five years? Well, I think the, 
it's the tricky situation here is the fact that they don't own their first round pick this year outright. They own it top four. So I believe that's around a 40 some percent chance of keeping your pick. If you're in the bottom four, now there are some tanking teams that are going to definitely have something to say about you sneaking into the top four, but you know, that that's, that's the main argument against blowing it up is not owning your pick outright. So it's difficult to choose a direction where you can just rebuild, which makes it scary that you'd be in a wizard's position where you're just constantly tanking. But the positive side here is that Levine is on a much better contract and is younger than Brad Beal. Um, Vooch is on an expiring deal. And, you know, if there's potential there to work something out with the Lakers, if, if they're a team that wants to, to do that, you know, that's, that's a way to, to use that as a positive asset. DeRozan is still a positive asset, depending on the team that he goes to, especially on the kind of contract that he's on. So there are contracts here that work out. There are ways out of this, but it requires drastic measures. It requires a front office pretty early in its tenure to hit the reset button on a situation that has their fingerprints all over it. You know, Vooch, that trade, that's AK. Jamar DeRozan, that's AK. Lonzo Ball, who they signed despite, you know, you know, some people were not a big fan of the injury history. That's AK. That's that's Mark AK and Mark Eversley. That's their decision making. Um, and that that's not easy. Like the, I think that the business side of this too is what fans need to understand. Like this isn't 2K where you can just like do something and then go right back on it. Like these are the major decisions made by a front office that was really honed in on the continuity of this group that they had come up with. So to just hit reset and rebuild, that's going to take a lot from a personal perspective from these guys too. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's fair, and I think I think we've punished you enough. We'll move on. We'll move on to uh to to another team and uh one that they actually are above five hundred, but for me the Minnesota Timberwolves have still been one of the most disappointing teams we've seen through what we're about just over a third of the way through the season. I mean, they traded their soul to the Utah Jazz to get Rudy Gobert in. And that was not to have basically an identical record to the Utah Jazz. Like when they made that trade and you said 30 games into the year, you are going to basically be level with Utah. Like they would laugh, they would laugh in your face, but that's, that's the reality. That's, that's where we're at with the Utah, uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves, 16 and 15. They're just, they're just not quite there and it feels like it's not going to quickly get better. It's it's interesting to see how they've been working the past couple of games. And I think this might actually make it worse. The fact that you don't have Cat, you don't have Gobert on the floor, and the ball looks like it's moving faster. It looks like there's there's more life to the offense, especially now running it through Ant and running it Lester D'Lo, who's um, over the past handful of games, it's been just absolutely on fire from catch and shoot three. He's been shooting um, over 40% um, from catch and shoot. And he's a guy that, you know, we expect it to just be a facilitator this year and let Ant be a pure scorer. But the interesting answer to this is maybe Ant just needs to be having the ball full time. And maybe he's the one who needs to, to hold the keys to this offense, like you had said, and the decision-making, if that just evolves overnight, that solves all these issues. But the expected part of this, like, you know, we, we can't avoid all, all the all the uh, criticisms against all these teams, but the expected part is that it would be slow and that Gobert would significantly, you know, kind of muck up the the usual lanes that they had, the spacing they have. They went from one of the best, the best shoot, three-point shooting team last year to one that's struggled at times from three this season. And to see that not take shape, to see there be no real strides from a concept standpoint to, to see very little movement in terms of what their sets have been and, and any nuances to their offense that maximize what cat and Gobert do. That's when the disappointing part, like there's, there's been no clear like silver lining of, okay, at least, at least you can do this with cat and Gobert on the floor offensively. At least this is working or at least they're a top five, top 10 defense. Like, no, they, they've, They've levied themselves into a okay defense 
and really suffered offensively. And the disappointing part is not seeing signs of it. But maybe Ant, maybe that's what it is. Maybe they can they can figure things out um, putting the ball in Ant's hand. But right now, it's just with Gobert off the floor. Yeah, that's where you kind of uh, you worry. That's not what uh, they want their future to be, and that's probably not what they need their future to be with. Uh, when you have a generational defender like Gobert, one thing that was crazy, I noticed that both Gobert and McDaniel's are averaging the same number of blocks per game at one one point two. Yeah. I mean, that's a credit to McDaniel's, but you're also thinking Gobert's got to be one of the most dominant blockers in the NBA. It's kind of crazy to think there's another player who you wouldn't consider at his level uh, uh, defensively or as a paint protector, but they're averaging the same with the blocks per game. It's a little thing, but it's something that you, it almost uh, reads into the, the bigger picture of just how the fit just hasn't quite been right uh, so, so far as uh, in this first period of the season. Yeah, that that's, that's a big thing too. And that's why they're not like vaulting themselves back into a – a top five defense like that. That's why that's not uh, going to change. Like they're, they haven't created um, the defensive system that has optimized his abilities. And he's also, it feels like he's taking a step back mm-hmm. and I mean, that's to give credit to, to McDaniels. I mean, he has, yeah. he's looked really good this year. He's looked a lot more aggressive offensively as well. And it's, I think that this could be, I, I think the defensive part of it should improve as the season goes on. But it's the offensive side. I'm, I'm still worried about. Um, I think gotta give I gotta give Gobert a little bit more time with this team, and as they continue to to figure things out together before I write write him off as losing a step. But he definitely hasn't looked as dominant as he has in the past. And obviously, all these guys are held up to the price at which they were bought. I mean, just to look at the the cost that the Timberwolves went through to get him and to mortgage their entire future. And for not work out on that end of the floor, like that, that is pretty concerning. And that, that is probably, that's the one thing you ask, you ask of him, like you're okay. If you're not scoring at a crazy rate, you're okay with that. But the, the block rate needs to come up. The, the rebounds need to come up too, which they have in the past, before he got hurt. I mean, the past 10, 15 games that they've definitely looked better than the beginning of the season, but hopefully it continues to get better in that regard. Yeah. It's going to need to, I mean, that's what they, they invested in. Let's, let's hope this doesn't end up, uh, as a really, really big cock up on Coach Finch, bit of bit of pressure on you now to to figure out the best way to to really get this team going. You've got the tools there. Time to figure it out. And the final one for the disappointing teams, I looked at the Toronto Raptors, thirteen and eighteen. They're yeah, they're pretty middle of the pack all over. They're fourteenth in offensive rating, seventeenth defensive rating. They're just missing that little bit of spark. Uh. What what do you think's been the the re, the key issue that's led to this for for the Raptors? Well, one is is the you know the lack of shooting. Fred VanVleet was a big big reason last year why why they were able to survive without any real shooters outside of Gary Trent Jr. Um, I mean he was just an absolute flamethrower. You think he was averaging over ten attempts per game, and he was making over forty percent of them. And that was a clip that he was nowhere close to at the beginning of the season. It seems like he's just turned that corner. Um, you see a lot of guys going through shooting slumps. I mean, Zach, Zach Levine, obviously for injury reasons, beginning the the season, um, Trey Young, Fred VanVleet. So they don't have enough shooting to survive Fred VanVleet not being a good shooter. And I think Scotty Barnes has also taken a bit of a step back. He's not looked good. He's not looked super comfortable, which is um, it's too bad. It's interesting because there's not been there's not been a change to his game from from year to year. And usually guys like that, like you see that in the third, in the third year or so. Um, but I, I've seen, I've seen some people say that they should blow it up. They, they should, they should aim for the future. And I, I, I don't know about that. I, it's, it's always like this impatience of, you know, whether we're, are we young or are we, or are we building towards something? Um, and I want to know what you think about that because you wanted to bring up the Raptors in this. And obviously this is a team I wanted to avoid because <laughs> they were, I mean, they were pick, I thought they were going to surprise. I thought that things were going to come together for them in a big way this season. Um, but do you feel like this is a team that should consider their position and consider, you know, maybe 
taking a step back and maybe selling off some some assets just to stay young and keep building with with draft picks. I don't think they're in that space. I mean, you're Pascal Siakam is in his prime. Uh, you got Scotty Barnes, who you believe could be your generational talent. You've got a good young shooter uh, slash scorer in uh, in Gary Trent Jr. Uh, OG Ananobi, he's been the bright spark for them really this year. Obviously, Saka's been great too, but OG has been absolutely awesome. So I think the core is still there. So I don't think a big move is really likely, but you maybe think, is there a way that they could create a package where they could get a decent return for someone like Fred Van Vliet maybe? I know he's kind of a hero to to the Raptors, but he's kind of the main person that they could actually get some decent assets back for and wouldn't be almost detrimental to, to the team as a whole. But for me, I don't think they really need to look at at that side of it. They've still got a great coach. They've still got a talented young roster with a couple of really good vets. So I think we could be talking about this maybe come mid to late January, they're back above 500 and they're looking like a better team again. So while they have disappointed, I don't, I don't think they're on that, on that level at all. Yeah. I, I I'm really cautious about stuff like this because you have a team around a guy like Scotty Barnes and I think it's important to develop him in a, in a good structure. Like a guy like that can really blossom in the kind of team concept theory we're trying to go with with a positionless basketball that they've been so impressive with and the the defensive tenacity that them as a group bring and it's it's frustrating to not see it work out at times because I, I think they're still so young and they still have a lot of potential and physically what they can do on the defensive side of the ball and then offensively I think it's going to take a leap from Scotty it's going to take a leap from a guy who can create his own shot who can um, break defenses down. And that's just not something that they have outside of uh, Pascal. And I think Fred Van Vliet can't consistently be that guy. I mean, I, I think as a secondary tertiary option, as a movement shooter and what he can do off the bounce, like is incredibly impressive, but they need Scotty to, to step up. And like I said, it takes, it takes a couple of years. It's, it doesn't always show up right away for these guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's true. I don't think they're really that they're, if they were to blow it up right now in any sort of major way, I'd I'd be really shocked. They've they've been they've been underwhelming so far, but yeah, the the big move does not need to be made. The plug definitely does not need to be pulled on this Toronto team. There's still lots to build around. They still have they still have a good core that we could be looking at in a couple of years as one of the one of the best uh, one of the best in the in the entire NBA. Maybe we'll turn now and focus on more individuals and the disappointing player of the entire season for me so far has been RJ Barrett. He was a guy I was really feeling high on. He signed his new contract. I was really expecting to see a jump from him this year. It's crazy to think I'm saying this when the Knicks are 17 and 13 on a seven game win streak, but Damn, he has been underwhelming. He has been a serious like wet damp squid this year. I'm <laughs> I need to see more. I need I need to see more out of RJ. I mean, do you still do you still have any feeling that the contract with him, Jalen Brunson, and Julius Randle on the same team like that that prevents him from being successful? Like he's not able to to do what he does best, and that's to get inside the paint, which is where you want Jalen Brunson to operate. Because, frankly, Jalen Brunson is better than R.J. Barrett. Like, he is a more efficient scorer in there. But that was that was the weapon that you expected R.J. to hone and define and to really base his career around is his ability to use his athleticism and his um, quickness and his those long strides and to get into the paint. But you can't do that necessarily when you have, you know, Jalen Brunson getting the paint, when you have – three centers playing your nine man rotation. When you have Julius Randle who's playing in the mid post like that, it seems like this roster still isn't designed around him and he's still not a good shooter. Um, there are often there are times out there when he is, you know, working with these second units and he's the best shooter on the floor and he's barely hitting 30% of his threes. And that's, that's not a recipe for success for a guy like him. And I think it would have taken a tremendous 
rise in his shooting for that to change. Yeah, but that's the thing we he's he has been working on. I, I I expected to see a rise. Now I'm not saying I'm expecting him to be one of the best in the in the league or anything like that, but someone you could be confident in in catch and shoot situations, uh, pull up situations. That's the next stage that he needs to get to because you're still like Randall's no superstar doing that sort of stuff, but he still does it consistently night night in night out. I felt like the opportunity was there. It felt like that, but obviously Coach Tibbs still, Randall is still his guy. I don't know if he's totally sold on, on RJ Barrett being being the lead guy for this team. That does have a negative impact, but the opportunity is still there and he has still, he has definitely still underwhelmed. I mean, he's averaging 19.4 points per game. Five and a half rebounds, two point eight assists on forty eight, thirty, seventy seven splits. I mean, he's just not that difference maker. He's only had one thirty point game this year. Randall has obviously been a lot better. Jalen Brunson's definitely been the the difference maker for the team. But you've seen like Manuel quickly's had a nice little bounce back this this season so far. Other guys within the team have been able to take a step forward but at the moment it feels like Barrett's taking a step back I mean you you sound like the least happy Knicks fan for for a team that's finally like got on a, a hot streak here like you got to find something wrong with it. like can you just be happy be oh, happy no, no, you're, no. You're, you're... I, the, the second I'm happy the streak ends so <laughs> <laughs> all right well we're we're two completely different places I'm I'm just in in ignorant bliss that you know I know the season's over and you just don't even want to get hope that maybe something can go right before something goes wrong. How, how about the fact that we're not even seeing Cam Reddish at all this season? Yeah, that was that is a really it's just a weird situation. Why? I know they kind of made the move to to clear off space and maybe and some with draft ideas in place, but it's just a really weird situation that he is not seeing the floor at all they're just they're just done away with him they're waiting to find some sort of trade where they can package him as part of it and just just be rid of him weird just weird weird situation yeah i i i don't know how how many times he's gonna get traded until he's a productive player and it feels like a josh jackson kind of situation where a guy with so much physical talent guy so much promise and then just can't find a place on a team with consistent minutes to develop him. Um, but, you know, we, we, we don't have enough time to be talking about Cam Reddish here. There's on this series of positives. No, no, we can't. We can't quite go into a, into the Cam Reddish. But uh, let's make the switch over to the to the positive. We've been talking about negative so far. There have been plenty of bright lights so far this season. We'll look at the teams first. Utah is obviously the big one. We'll get to them. But I've been... It, really impressed with the Memphis Grizzlies. They're 19 and 10. They're first in the West. They're top 10 in both offense and defense. They started the season without Jaron Jackson Jr. They've lost Desmond Bain to injury. But they're still right up there. Not I, I, I think I, I wasn't alone in thinking they might take a little bit of a step back after their great breakout year last year. But instead... Jam Morant has taken things to another level. Obviously, Bain looked great when he was uh, when he was healthy. Jaron Jackson Jr.'s return have been great. Dylan Brooks has had a really productive year. The bench continues to produce. And Jam Morant is just in MVP level talent. That's that's just what we're seeing night in and night out. Yeah, I, I love everything about what they've done. And I'm sure it's been talked about. Uh, enough like how good collectively the Grizzlies have been but one thing I think I really want to highlight is Jaron Jackson Jr. on top of all this team success on top of John Rant being good doesn't being having a career year which we expected um, but Jaron Jackson Jr. coming in right now having the highest block rate in league history mm-hmm. and that's not being talked about enough in, in a year where Gobert's having a down year uh, Miami's having a down year so harder to talk about Bam Adebayo, I think Jaron Jackson Jr., as he continues to to play healthily and he continues to make his impact, you know, playing less than 30 minutes on the floor, too, for one of the best defensive teams in the league, like that needs more 
that needs more um, shine there, how good he's been defensively. And if this continues, I definitely think that, you know, they're looking at a guy who could be the finalist for a defensive player of the year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's that was always what we expected out of out of Jaron Jackson Jr. So it's great to see him after coming off that yet an, yet another injury setback that he's getting right into it and doing all he can to shove himself into that conversation. And and you like to think it's, it's only going to get better as he gets closer. He does obviously look great so far, but you think he, there's there's probably no way he's at a hundred percent yet. So it can only get better from here they're gonna get desmond bain back so you're gonna think they're gonna be right up there at the top of the west obviously they they lose the game and they drop back to to fourth or fifth place that's how how tight it is up at the uh up at the top of the western conference but to think of how good all the teams have been it's been it's been pretty impressive that they're uh they're the number one seed uh at this stage of the season yeah it's they're they're gonna stay there no matter who's in or out, and they've proven that the next guy mentality is is working. And it'll be fascinating to see who sticks by the end of the season in their rotation because everyone that they've plugged in just continues to to be a productive member. Um, and John Rant, maybe this is MVP season. Um, and another guy we 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 won't harp too long on the Pelicans, but since we're in this area, just how tough the Western Conference has been. Zion also has to be an MVP candidate. We gotta look at that real quick for just sticking around the top of the West. Cause you know, you got Nikola Jokic leading Nuggets there. They're looking better. Um, finally, they, they look like they're coalescing around their old core, but the Pelicans continuing to be impressive is, is around the lead play of Zion. And it's cool to see that, you know, Ja and Zion are finally in there, the places that they're supposed to be. Both these guys are, are leading their teams at the top of the Western conference in a tough conference and neither of their teams would be there without them. And Zion's really leading the way and, if you're mentioning Ja and an MVP candidacy and the Grizzlies is one of the best in the West, you can do the same exact thing for, for Zion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, finally, this is this is what we've been we've waited for now for what? Uh, it's probably three three years. We're seeing the two of them do it. Obviously, we've seen we saw Ja really step up with it uh, last year, and now we're seeing Zion do the same thing. And you're saying, oh, th- 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 this is great. Finally, we the the anticipation we thought maybe it might even have been dead, but it's here. We're in the now, and just just enjoy every minute of it because they're playing elite basketball, and they're showing that. Uh, like a number of other guys, you look at Jason Tatum and a few others out in the the Western Conference that the the NBA is just in in great great hands. Yeah. What other what 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 are the final uh, positive gifts we have here? We 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 you've made me feel a little better talking about Zion, talking about Ja, you know. Maybe not so much talking about the Knicks because I don't know how that was supposed to be. I thought that was gonna be positive today. I thought we were gonna you were no, gonna no, feel good. Can go, I can go in too positive. The 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 negatives are still there for me. I still still can't put get fully behind the the process that they are uh, they are involved in right now. I mean the win streak it's been great. Long long may it continue, but for me I just there's still just something. It's always in the back of my head. I'm just a I'm just a Knicks fan. I'm always just used to used to disappointment. You know. Yeah. And I think what I want to end it with is, you know, a team that we've we brought in here and there and checked in uh, with the success that we've seen from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, I think they continue to be one of the greatest positive surprises um, with their pairing with Donovan Mitchell. We already talked about how great he's been offensively, how seamlessly they've looked. Um, we already talked about how great the fit has been, the front court with Mobley and Allen, as they continue to look like one of the most dominant duos in the front court. But offensively, sticking with Mitchell, this I think is is a perfect picture statistically of like how seamless of a fit he's been. He and Allen are the best pick and roll duo in the league right now. Wow. Highest efficiency, best scoring, and that is something that we we thought you know that would be a very interesting dynamic to see, especially with how Mitchell uh, synchronized with with Gobert in Utah. But Jared Allen, I think much better post player than Gobert, uh, much better passer than Gobert. And he's really, Mitchell's really unlocked uh, Cleveland's pick and roll offense and to another level. And that is a small microcosm of just how successful Cleveland's been with making such a big splash deal for, for, for Donovan Mitchell. And that, that's been exciting for me. It's, it's really reclaimed who Mitchell is as a true superstar in this league and the Cavs organization really vindicating the kind of, 
uh, system they've put together and the culture that they've put together and Cleveland. And it's exciting to see where they go from here. The East is stacked, but they have continued to prove that they are steady presence against the best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the Cavs obviously have been... I don't think I expect them to be this good this this quickly. I expect them to be more a team that were going to be around the the five the five or six seed this year as they they figure things out. But instead, they've just it's just all come together right away. The exact opposite to to Gobert over over Minnesota. I mean, they're twenty one and eleven. They're they're third in the in the Eastern Conference, only behind obviously the the two super teams in Boston and uh, and Milwaukee. They have the best defense in the NBA. You've got Donovan Mitchell, your new star, averaging 29 points per game on 57, 43, 89 splits. Darius Garland averaging 21 and 8. You have five players averaging more than more than 10 points a game. You're getting contributions off your bench, guys. It's all just flowing so well. And when the defense is that good and you have those couple of real offensive Phenoms, Mitchell in the scoring, uh, and Garland can do it with his playmaking as well as his scoring when needs be. It just you feel like you can't go wrong for this team. Now, why would you say that? <laughs> why, why, <laughs> why? Why would you say that now? But yeah, every everything's come together well, and I'm. I think that they have a serious chance against against Milwaukee and against Celtics because of the defense that they can that they can put together and the. The wing scoring is still always going to be a question for them. Hopefully Ricky Rubio coming around helps to provide more scoring off the bench um, with what he can set up for them. But um, they have very few holes. They have very few holes in this team and they have a lot of upside. Mobley hasn't even started shooting well yet. So there is, I would say not, not to put a damper on it, uh, but there's room for improvement too. And that's, that, that, that's what gets scary, but uh, let's finish it off on some of the individuals. A couple of the guys I want to highlight has just been great look so far this year. One that's really underrated, my top guy, is Tyler Hero. He's had a really great year. I mean, he's exceeded what he did as the sixth man of the year last year. He's averaging 21-6-4 on 50-40-90 splits. And this is as a starter. He's, mm. he's doing it. That was the question mark. Can he be a starter and put up the same numbers and be that same sort of difference maker for this team. Obviously the record is 16 and 15, pretty disappointing for Miami, but they've, they've started to get going recently. They were, they're back above 500 now and heroes kind of been the, the lead guy of that because Jimmy Butler, while he's been great when he's been on the, on the court, he's kind of been in and out of the team a good bit. And it's been it's been great to see Hero step up as 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 a starter now. Yeah, and in the pro- prolific shooting, um, mm-hmm. efficient shooting, 50, 40, 90 so far, and that's that's something that's so desperately needed on a Miami Heat offense that at least in the regular season can get really bogged down and and we're still waiting for them to hit that stride. It feels like they're still just kind of coasting through the regular season, but. Yeah, it's been impressive. He's had a lot of he's had a lot of hate thrown his way for just coming off the bench, and you know he's only doing it against bench units. But you know he's a guy that got targeted early on after his early success in his career, and he's really put it together um, as a shooter. You know, as a decision maker too. You know, his um, assist to turnover ratio still could use some work. You know, it's still the decision making as a lead playmaker isn't there yet, but as a scorer, as a secondary scorer on this team, and he's arguing amongst the best. I mean, I think that he's a guy that a lot of teams could have had a shot at, you know, trading for last year, but the Heat were were smart. The Heat really held on to him and really believed in him developing, being a starter, and he's proving it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what about uh, what about the man out in OKC, Mr. Cloche, Gilgis Alexander? I mean... There's not too much more you can say about this guy. He has just been absolutely unbelievable. I mean, if you were going to tell me that the OKC Thunder will have won 13 games without Chet Holmgren, their their, their star rookie player, I would have thought you were batshit crazy at, the, at this stage. I would have I would have pegged them as being the one of the worst teams in the league. Instead, they have a they have a better record than seven teams in the NBA, and it's all because of Shea. 
31, 5, and 6, and just under two steals a game. 53, 35, 93 splits. I mean, only Luka Doncic has more 30-plus games this year. He's been like, he's Mr. Clutch. He's been unbelievable. That That's probably the most surprising, maybe not the most surprising for anyone who's watching him in, in, in OKC when he was really surging last season, but he's forced the new direction in OKC. He's forced them to reconsider what they will do over the next few years because this isn't a team of question marks. I think they've Shea has proven to be not just a a one B or or secondary type of player, but you can build a team around him. And he's proven that this season. He's proven that you can build a team around him. Um he's versatile. You can play both the one and the two. He's played in three guard lineups before. He can facilitate. You can shoot the three now. And the efficiency with which he's um getting inside the paint and he's able to bend defenses and he's able to play clutchman that's the biggest part is having a guy who can be a closer that's that's someone that you build around that's someone that you can trust in the trenches and in a playoff scenario that you start to reconsider what you do with all these picks so i'm, I'm excited to see what the what the thunder do they're gonna have a plethora of picks still they're gonna have all these young players they're gonna have all the moves to make and i think they finally have a guy that they can trust to make those moves for yeah, that's that's uh that's basically what they've been waiting for. You could say since Paul George and Russ and Russ uh and Russ left, which obviously wasn't too long ago, but you kind of think that it's this is the guy they've been waiting for since uh since KD left uh uh back 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 in the day. But uh, you got anyone else you'd like to add? Any any other individuals you'd like to highlight? You you got my you got my guy. Shea was a guy that I really wanted to talk about. Um, definitely Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, and I'm I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear something uh, from a particular guy, um, and I was I was waiting for it, but it still hasn't happened yet. Scotty Barnes, he hasn't showed up, mm-hmm. and yeah. that was a disappointing. I, I wish at this point in the season we could have talked about it, but you know he he's the guy that I got in my fantasy league. I was so excited. You guys let me get him for sixteen bucks in the keeper league, and he's just showing me that maybe that wasn't the uh, that wasn't the crazy steal that I thought it was, but. No. Can't, you can't you can't win them all, but uh, one of the guys we'll highlight. We'll finish off with one of the guys I want to highlight. One of my two guys actually that are both in my fantasy team, Terry <laughs> Salabreton and Benedict Matherin. Two have just been have been great. Matherin as a rookie has been really impressive, averaging eighteen points and four four rebounds, mostly coming off the bench. He has had thirteen games of uh, scoring twenty or more. Only Bankero has more as a rookie this year. Then Halliburton, obviously, just been awesome. 19.5 points per game, 10.7 assists, 1.7 steals. He's leading the league in 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 assists. He's shooting 55, 39, 88 splits. As a duo, they have just taken to the Pacers to a level I don't think anyone thought they were going to be close to at the start of the year. And it's one that you're thinking, this is something that the Pacers can now build around. They've got a duo they can at least look at over the next two years and think we can really go in deep and go in hard on this duo and see, see what it can, uh, see what it can bring up for us. What's up with Wally Zerbiak hating on uh, Albert, huh? Your, your boy in, uh, in New York. No one, I, I, I don't listen to any hate about Halliburton. Halliburton is, is my guy. Call I, him a I wannabe, wannabe all-star. Wannabe Mr. All-star. Fake all-star. I think he's making an all-star game, man. I don't know what this guy's talking about. If he's a fake all-star, then what the hell was uh, Andrew Wiggins? Or (laughs) That's what I want to know. Or about 20 other different guys in the last 10 years. (laughs) He will not be named in the next jersey. But, no, I I think that's a great place to end, man, because that that guard duo and what the Pacers have done, and, you know, (laughs) in an Eastern Conference where there's a lot of of wrong, wrong assumptions about how the season would go, uh, the Pacers are no exception to how uh, – I mean, they're, they're still the most prolific three-point shooting team behind the clear-cut best uh, playmaking point guard in the league. And it's it's something that they can continue to build on. I, I don't think they're at the point yet where it, it's an interesting crossroads where they're kind of already in the middle again as a young team. So this is, they're not able to really tank. I think they're too good to tank at this point. So what do you do from there? Um, but it's, it's exciting. It's a good problem to have. 
if you have, if you have guys that you can believe in and build around, that's a good problem to have. Um, and I think that knowing Rick Carlisle and, and knowing this court paces organization, I think they'd be excited to get moving forward with the rebuild as opposed to moving backward. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think they're definitely in, in a good spot. They feel like it's all, it's come together, I think quicker than they thought. And they also still have those assets that you think they can still make moves, uh, if needs be, if, uh, things start to kind of go off, uh, Go go heal a little bit, but they're they're definitely in a good spot. But I think that's gonna do it for today's episode. Uh, we're about a third of the way through the season now. We're really starting to see things come together. You can make real judgments. I think at this stage, we're thirty games in. Obviously, still a long way to go. the The major, uh, the first major step of the the season, the Christmas Day games, they're taking place uh, this Sunday, and it's, uh, a Merry Christmas to everyone and. Uh, Thank you all very much for listening to our podcast. This was actually the 100th episode of Coast to Coast. No Can kidding. Believe that? Yeah. No kidding. This is a, this is our century mark. Well, I I hope everyone has a great Christmas. And again, can't I'll thank anyone who's willing to listen to this nonsense. But it's always fun to just come on and to celebrate the success we see and whatever little therapy I can get out of this, as my emotional health is completely reliant upon what the Bulls do or don't do. But this has been great, man. It's, and here's to another 100 episodes, and I hope everyone has a safe and uh, happy holiday. Absolutely. Here, here. Thank you all so much, and please continue on the journey with us. It's only going to get better from here. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment. <laughs>